0: How are we doing? I heard good and pretty good. I'll take all of those. Take your Bible, John chapter 3. Hope you had an amazing day. Hope you enjoyed being together with friends. We pray that God is at work in your life and God is going to work in our life again tonight. That's our hope. That's our prayer. And I'm looking forward to our time in John chapter 3. Being a dad is awesome. I have four kids. Gunner, who is nine. Jet, he is three. Oops, skipped one. Jordan, she is five. And uh, Riley, she is one. I love being a dad. Where are my dads at out there? Okay, making sure, there you go. Dads, Okay, all those yells, you weren't dads, all right? A lot of you were. Being a dad is awesome, but there's something that happens over time as you have kids and you're a dad, it's something that's known as dad mode, okay? Now, dad mode, as far as I can tell, I've been a father for nine years, has three components. There may be more. I keep more, keep getting added on to my life. Um, dad mode category number one is dress, Okay. It's that point when you don't really care as much what you look like, but as long as you're comfortable and cool. Dads, am I right? Yeah, I heard that amen. I just want to be comfortable. I remember when this happened to my dad. I was, I was probably about my oldest son's age, and he would come home on a Sunday afternoon, and he would change into the comfy gym shorts. He'd still wear the white nasty t-shirt, and he'd leave his church socks pulled all the way up to his knees. And I'm thinking, Dad, don't go out like that. Please. Dad mode number one is dress. Something else has happened to me. It's in the category of humor. (laughs) And it's dad jokes. How many of you love a good dad joke? Okay, I got a couple for you. They're not funny. They're awful, okay? If you see a robbery at the Apple store, does that make you an eyewitness? Classic dad joke. How about this one? Waiter, do you want a box for your leftovers? No, but I'll wrestle you for them. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Dad joke. Some of you are just getting that one? <laughs> what do peppers do when they're angry? They get all up in your face. If you got a good dad joke this week, I I would love to hear it. Come on up anytime as we're going around. I'd love to hear it. There's a third category. The first one was dress. The second one was humor that's not really funny, dad jokes. But there's another one after that, and it's really an, an incredible ability. Oh, I missed one. How about this one? I'm drowning. Hi, drowning, I'm Jesus often my son will say, I'm tired. And I will say what? i tired. tired. I'm Jason. All right, you get the idea. The 3rd I, I can't believe I left one out there. The third component is an incredible ability to, to respond with incredible quickness when one of your kids is in danger. You may be the slowest dad on earth, but when one of your sons is in danger, one of your daughters, you instantly had this ability to move lightning fast to save them from dangers. A few years ago, we were at the Adventureland rally. No, it's not an amusement ride accident, relax. You're like, oh! We, we went over to lunch to Culver's, right? And we're getting all of the youth group kids out of the van and my son just hops out and he gets out of the van and I'm getting out of the driver's side door and I'm walking around behind the van and I see that he is about ready to sprint out into the parking lot and there's an oncoming car. I'm actually pretty worried about it. And I'm not the fastest guy in the world by any stretch of the imagination, on any level. But I sprint around that van and I reach out for like one grasp to just get a hold of him to get his attention to stop him from going right out of the parking lot as a car was blitzing right through the parking lot. And as I reach something, I just gotta grab something. I grab the small part of his hair Have you ever had somebody pull that? Don't do it right now, please don't do it. You're junior hires, don't do that. But when somebody, look right up here, when somebody grabs you right there, it's excruciating pain immediately. And as I reach out and I grab him, it pulls his head back. He screams and he turns around like I'm the worst person in the world. Like, what are you doing, Dad? Like, son, I just saved your life. Dad mode, an incredible ability to respond with quickness when danger is very near. Would you look right up here tonight? Would you look right up here? For my son, danger was coming. He didn't realize it. Friends, we are much like my son in that moment. We are born Headed towards an awful danger and we may not even realize it. And in that great danger is where God stepped in and he gave. And you might say, what's our greatest danger? And it's simply this. Being separated from God forever because of our sin. Did you catch that? What is our greatest danger? It's the danger of being separated from God forever because of our sin. It's Romans 6, 23. For the wages, for the payment of my sin. What does it say is what? Is death. For the wages of sin is death. Listen very carefully. A sinner's greatest danger is not being tormented in hell forever. It's eternity apart from God because of our sin. That's our great danger, and as difficult as that is to hear, that's every single person, just like the skit so beautifully illustrated, that's every single person who has been born. We've been born a sinner, and young people, apart from Christ, we are headed into eternity, apart from Him, for forever. Our greatest danger, eternity apart from God. And I'll tell you tonight how awful the story would be if Romans 6.23 stopped right there in the middle. But it says, But the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's an incredible hope that we have. And so our giant tonight that we want to talk about is this: it's sin but it's the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. And here's the big idea tonight. In the midst of our greatest danger, being separated from God forever because of our sin, God stepped in, young people, and he gave. And he did something about it, and he gave us his perfect son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be rescued and we can be forgiven. Amen? Some of you might say, Well, why does that matter? Let me back that thought up even one spot earlier. Many of you, many of you know Jesus Christ by faith. Your sins have been forgiven. You have the hope of heaven. And so your opportunity tonight, because you could say, I've heard this before, I know the gospel. I know that I've been saved. Would you do two things for me tonight if you know Christ as your Savior? Throughout this message, listen, but also pray. Because there might be somebody in your row from your church, your cabin, that you know as your peer, they don't know Jesus. And right now their danger is being separated from God forever. Because if there's sin, if they were to die tonight, and so don't tune out thinking, I don't know if I, need, I don't need to listen to this. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I've been forgiven. I need you tonight. I need you to pray as you listen. And along the way, you ought to be saying, Believer, thank you, God, for saving me. I didn't deserve it. So we've got, we've got some opportunities tonight to receive all of this. Why does this matter? Because that might be where some of you came into, like, so what? All right. It's just religion, right? What is this? Why does this matter? I'm going to give you four truths that are really realities, four truths from God's word, and then end with our response. And number one, look here on the screen. We would ask, why does this matter? Because death is certain. My point tonight is not to scare, not to be morbid or depressing, <laughs> But I'll tell you something, death is certain. Told you last night, I don't like math, I'm not very good at it, but death has an amazing track record. And guess what? As much as we don't like to talk about it, death has an invitation for each one of us. We don't like to think about it. But here's the reality tonight. Death brings a variety of thoughts for all of us. For some it's uncertainty, for some, it might be fear, but young people, death is coming for all of us. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, and just as it is appointed for people to die, how's it go? Once. And after this comes judgment. I want to tell you tonight, no one is gaining more time in this life. No one is gaining more time. Every day we are losing time. And again, you might be saying, brother, you're being really depressing here. We're talking about death. But isn't it true? Every day that we live, are we one step closer to our death? Death is certain. The Bible speaks of that. I I find actually these words in Ecclesiastes to be confusing at first, but amazing as we understand them. Look on the screen. The writer of wisdom says, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. You're like, wait a minute, what? Is he saying that death is better than the day of birth? And then you go on to read a little bit further, and he says, it's better to go into a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. And I'm thinking, what? What? I mean, if there was an invitation tonight after chapel, and one cabin said, hey, Pastor Jason, come on, we're just going to mourn in our cabin. And then there was a second invitation, it's like, hey, come on over, uh, we've got a lot of food, and we're going to have a lot of fun before lights out, uh, and then after lights out we're going to you know, turn the lights off and go to sleep, but we're going to come over and have a little party. Which invitation would you take? The one that says, let's just, we're going to mourn, or the one that's having a party? Yeah, of course. And we look at this text. A day of death is better than the day of birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning, the house to feasting. What in the world is going on? But I love what the end of verse two says. Since that is the end of all mankind and the living should take it to heart. What should we take to heart? The fact that this life is not forever. That's what we have to take to heart. And it's actually good in a biblical sense to contemplate death. And when we walk into a funeral, we're reminded of that face up, that one day I'm going to be in the casket. And death is certain. And as awesome as birth is, death is better for the one who knows Jesus because you get to go be with him. And so we look at that like, what is going on here, And Oh, now I get it. When I view it, the, the the shortness of this life and the sweetness of eternity with Jesus, death is certain, and, and I love the Book of Ecclesiastes because I think it reminds us that we should live life backward, like we should walk around backward. No, 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 we should live life backwards, meaning. We start with the reality that I'm going to die, and we live in light of that. That's not morbid. But when I live, though this life is not all that there is and this life is short, that's going to affect how I live right now. If I knew that I was going to die at the end of the week, that would affect how I live and what I do right now. That's why it's better to go to the house of mourning, the house of feasting, because we contemplate death. And we don't like to think about this. Adults, teenagers, sometimes like to push it aside for whatever reason. My grandpa died this past May, and he knew the Lord. I was talking with one of my neighbors. I've got a variety of neighbors that I'm praying come to know Christ. And my wife and I have been able to build good relationships with them was speaking to the man next door. He's about 10, 12 years older than me. Grew up around God's word. Grew up in a home that taught God's word, but for whatever reason, he has rejected that. And I, I was telling him about what was happening in my life and I said my grandpa died and every time that I got around even the subject of death, he wanted nothing to do with it. Out of guilt, out of fear, I'm not sure. But we don't like to talk about death, and the Bible reminds us it's actually a healthy thing through the lens of God's words. And yes, we get it. Death is all around us. And why is that? Sin. Death is the result of sin. Romans 5 and verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned because of Christ though. I'm so glad I get to preach this. Because of Christ, we don't have to fear death. But death is certain. Reality number two, truth number two, life is short. Death is certain. Life is short, and the two verses that I just skipped by on the screen remind us that those who are wise will take into account that death is coming for us. Death is certain, are you with me? Life is short, the Bible speaks of that. James chapter four, verse 14. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, but for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Job says the same thing in Job chapter seven. Young people, (laughs) life is a vapor. And when you're in your teens and even your 20s, you think life is gonna go on forever. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, what, I'm 37? I got four kids? I picked up my son Thursday night. His birthday was Friday, and I had to just make sure I had it right in my mind, because it was hard to believe. And I said, God, are you're gonna be nine? Are you you're sure? Get off the calculator, let's do the math calculator. <laughs> iPhone, okay, come on now. <laughs> like, what is happening? Kids have a way of speeding up life. But when you're in teens, when you're in your teens and your 20s, you think that life is gonna go on forever. Death is certain, life is short. Number three, eternity is forever. We've already been hinting at this. Can we talk about it just for a moment longer? Death is certain, life is short, eternity is forever. And the Bible speaks very clearly of this reality. Eternity is coming and I wanna be gentle and bold and loving and kind. But I want to remind you that your eternity may start sooner than you realize. The question is this, as we, as we move towards John chapter 3, where will you spend eternity? Are you hearing me tonight? Where will you, not, not the person beside you, not the person in front of you, not your mom, dad, you, your life, your hearts. where will you spend eternity? Have you ever tried to grasp eternity? It's like one of those mind busters. Like, well, how long is eternity? It goes on, and then it goes on, and then it, then it keeps going. How many would say eternity is a hard thing to get my mind wrapped around a little bit? Eternity is forever. Let's not make it too complicated. Number four. Sin is a reality for all of us. We've sung about that tonight. You've heard about that already throughout the day. You heard about it in springboard ninth graders. You heard it in the skit. Sin is a reality for all of us. And the Bible, again, is very clear that this is every person who has ever been born. It's Romans 3, 23. We've already quoted this tonight. But it's the power of God's word, so let's say it again. For all have sinned, all, and they've fallen short of the glory of God. And we need Christ, young people. Listen very carefully. We need Christ because of our sin. Not just so we can get out of hell. That's our punishment. Our sin is what Christ died for. That's you and me. We need Christ because of our sin. We're lost, we're helpless, we're hopeless, and we're separated from God with zero ability to save ourselves. Ephesians 2 is very clear. It says that I was dead in my sin. That's every person. Do you realize you need a rescuer? Do you realize... There is a rescuer, and his name is Jesus Christ. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For our sake, that's you and me, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Sin is a reality for every single one of us. We need a rescuer, and there is one. His name is Jesus, who took our sin. Sin is a reality for all of us. Number five. There must be a response. We must respond to this truth. And I would ask you again tonight, what is your response? Death is certain. Life is short, eternity is forever, and sin is real. We must respond, and John 3 is gonna tell us there's two options on the table. That's believe in Jesus Christ, or reject Christ and trust in self, and we perish as we pay for our own sin. Young people, tonight there are two options on the table. Believe in Christ, or reject and perish in light of our sin. First John five, real simple, verse 12. Whoever has the Son, that's Jesus, has what? Say it if you know it. Has what? Life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Those are the options on the table and so we move to John three very quickly to give a little bit of direction further and how we should see we must respond. And I would ask you again, and I'm gonna ask you later, look right up here. Do you know Jesus Christ as your savior? And I didn't say, do you know the facts about the Bible? I didn't say that. I didn't say, do you attend church? I didn't say, do you know about the Bible? Do you go to a good church? I didn't say, do you attend IRBC every year? I mean, do you have a real daily relationship with Jesus Christ because he has saved you and you are trusting in him for salvation? Two things out of John 3 that I need you to understand and hear even, even now, for those that know Christ, this ought to be a giant hallelujah the remainder of the service. It ought to be a giant adoration of who God is and what he's done in Jesus Christ. We need a little bit of direction. John 3 is gonna help us. How we can know that we can be forgiven of our sins, have the hope of eternity with Jesus, and why we don't have to fear death. Number one, understand the giant love of God. We talked a little bit about this last night. You know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his only son, his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Don't forget verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that that the world might be saved through him. That's Jesus Christ. Understand the giant love of God. God gave. God gave what was most precious. It said his one and only son, his one of a kind, his precious son was given. Some might say, look right up here, because I think this is a pressing question that's often asked among teenagers. How do I know God really loves me? I mean, look at my life. How do I know that God really loves me? Look at this world, look at this mess. How do I know that God really loves me? For God so loved the world that he gave what was most precious, his one and only son. And I think when we consider this in human terms, of the love a parent has for their child it helps us get a little bit more magnitude of what was going on. Consider this further. When Jesus speaks about God giving of his one and only son, yeah, it's about the intensity of his love, but I wanna make something really clear He gave his one and only son, tells us of the greatness of his gift, and it's not so much about the quantity of his love, but the quality. We can take that word so and think big. I'm not talking about quantity. I don't think in John 3, we're talking about quantity. We're talking about the quality. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We can take, so love the world. We're not talking quantity, but we're talking the quality of his love. And I want you to hear this tonight. God gave knowing what his son would have to experience. If you've never read Isaiah 53, you haven't read it in a while, jot that down in your margin. You need to read Isaiah 53. And when you you read it through the lens of a father and a son, it's heartbreaking to read God knew what his one and only son was gonna have to experience. He knew that his son would be rejected, hated, opposed, and beaten, and mocked, and ridiculed. God gave to sinners knowing what his son would have to face. And God gave his precious gift to those Who hated him? Go back to your Bibles, John 3, verse 19. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people loved darkness, not Jesus. They loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things, what is the word there? Hates the light. God knew he was giving his precious only son and he knew to whom he was giving it to and yet he still gave. We were against God. We were born that way. We hated God, not neutral. We didn't want him. We were rejectors of God. He knew that and he gave. I think it was on my son's fourth or fifth birthday. I don't remember what, but it was on his birthday. And Ankeny was doing their big Summerfest Fourth of July parade. And we had just had our second kid being born. And so all of that was going on in the house. And I thought, well, I'll take Gunner and him and I, we'll go to the parade and allow my wife and baby to kind of just chill out and relax. So we go to the parade. Ever been to the Ankeny Parade? It's packed full with people for miles. I don't know why. It's just a parade. And halfway through the parade, I look up and I can't find my son. And I'm thinking, oh, he's probably just over here. Maybe he's just over here. Maybe he's with my nope, he's not there. And a little bit more time begins to go by. And parents, you maybe have had this feeling before when you can't find your kid. I started to panic. I can't find him. And all I see is people everywhere, but not my son. I see hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm thinking, where is this five-year-old? Where is he? This is my son, and we were there with a bunch of people from our church and our family, and they kinda just started to sense what was going on, and we split up, and we were going up and down the street. We're looking for my son, and every moment that goes by, I'm thinking, this is awful. This is the worst feeling that I've ever had. I'm also thinking, I'm losing my son on his birthday? I mean, what kind of dad am I? And pretty soon, my dad comes running towards me. He's like, I got him. I found him. I'm like, where was he? He was going to the bathroom behind the school by himself. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure what to do, but there were certainly tears. And as my son was lost, I'm thinking, who might have him? What are they going to do to him? All of these fear thoughts of what is going to happen to my son. And God knew what would happen to Christ as he would come to die on a cross for sinners, people who were against him. God knew all of that. Is that not a giant love that he would give his one and only son? How deep is God's love? Number two. Understand the giant hope that we have in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world in this way. What way? He gave, he gave, circle that word in your Bible. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. I want you to look at the screen here in in just a moment. But here's what many people believe in our country, in your city, in mine, across the globe. They think, well, if I just do enough good works, I mean, if I just kind of keep the good ahead of the bad. If there's more good than bad, then certainly because there's more good in my life, I've done more good things, then certainly that will save me. But the problem is when we're confronted with God's word, we find that God is perfectly holy. God is without sin and in God's presence, there's no sin. God is creator. That's important. Might want to write that down, even though you might know it. Because I'm accountable to him as his creator. God is holy. We come to scripture and we find that. And we also find out something about man, which we've already spoken of tonight, that we are thoroughly sinful. Everything we do is tainted by sin. And so, because of that, catch this, please. <clears throat> we can't save ourselves. It's Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. His mercy. Do you love his mercy is more song? I love that song. Because of his mercy. Or we go to Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. It's, it's not about works, it's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Look at your Bibles. Who's the first person you meet in in verse 1 of John chapter 3? What's his name? There was a man from the Pharisees named what? Nicodemus, an influential man. A man with gifts and abilities and knowledge and intellect. Probably way more than you and I have. And he comes to Jesus with a question. And I think Jesus really kind of bypasses the question and gets to the heart. He says, no, you actually have to be born again. That, that's, that's being saved. And he gives a beautiful illustration from the Old Testament. We arrive at verse 16, which we've already read. But I say that to say this. If Nicodemus's works... And goodness and knowledge and status, if that wasn't alone enough to save, what hope do you and I have? We don't because it's not about works. God is holy, man is is sinful. Do you see the divide on the screen? God is holy, man is sinful illustrating that we have been separated from God because of our sin, but Christ died. And he rose again. And some might say, why did anyone have to die? God is perfect and holy. Sin had to be paid for. God couldn't look the other way. God wouldn't be perfectly just and righteous and trustworthy if he's like, hey, you know what? Maybe he's had a bad day. Let's just kind of sweep that sin under the rug. I, let's just. Exodus 34 says that he can't leave the guilty unpunished. He's not a good God. He's not a righteous and perfect judge if he doesn't punish sin. Sin had to be paid for because some would say, well, why did anyone have to die? God is perfect and holy. Sin had to be paid for. God is rich in mercy, so he sent Jesus to die for us. And without the shedding of blood, there had to be a perfect sacrifice. Jesus alone meets that criteria, the Son of God, the perfect sacrifice. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There's no remission of sin. God is perfectly holy. We are thoroughly sinful. Christ died in our place. Look right here on the screen. It's not about how much good we can pile up to hopefully offset our bad, our sin. We come to the truth of God's words, and we find this. You might say, well that's really good knowledge, thanks. This last part is this, there must be a response. Friends, no response is a response. John says that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Again, the two options, believe, perish. And perish doesn't mean we cease to exist. It does mean we are paying our penalty of our sin with our own life, and that's in hell separated from God. And I want you to catch this, please. When we talk about believe here in this text, It's acknowledging your sin before a holy God. I am a sinner. And we turn from our sin. And we place our trust in Christ alone. It's turning from sin. We call that repentance. We repent of our sin. Are you with me? And we turn to what Jesus did on the cross. And we trust in that for the payment for our sins. And that's all we need It's repentance plus faith. It's turning from sin and trusting in Christ alone. And some of you tonight may need to do that. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is one way. This is truth, whether you want to believe it or not. This is truth. This demands a response. Our hope is Christ, and there is no other way. Do you understand the love of God for sinners? His mercy is more. That's already been illustrated tonight, but you might say, You don't know what I've done, where I've come from, all of those things. You can't outrun His mercy, you can't outrun His grace that when we turn from our sin in repentance and we trust in Christ alone, hallelujah, you can be saved. Do you understand the love of God for sinners? Do you understand tonight our only hope is trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins? Many of you Many of you know the story of the Titanic, right? The unsinkable ship that sank. The ship that took more than three years and 15,000 men to build that sank in three hours. 2,028, 2,228 passengers. 705 survivors. Can you imagine the chaos when news reach back to town in England. And people frantically trying to figure out, are my loved ones safe or had they been killed? It is said to believe that there was a board put up in town and it had two categories. And it was this, known to be lost. Let me go past this, don't have it on there. Known to be lost or known to be saved. And those who were known to be saved they survived, their names were written here. Those that were confirmed lost. Their names were written there. I wonder you, as we've looked at the truth of God's word, would you say yes because of what Jesus has done for me, and I've trusted it alone for salvation? I'm known to be found in Him, Philippians 3. But some of you tonight might be sitting there and say, "I have no idea. Some of you might say, I think I'm in the known-to-be-lost category. I'm separated from God from our sin. And tonight, we would want you to respond tonight. That you would trust in Christ alone, and you would be found in him. Where are you at? Known to be found, known to be lost. 1995, April 19th. I was in seventh grade, you weren't born. (laughs) Counselors, you might have been. I remember my, my mom picking me up from, I don't know what it was, school practice or whatever. We were listening on the radio about the bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City. Sponsors, you remember this. The rest of you, it's history. And it was Timothy McVeigh who was the bomber. And on June 11, 2001, choosing no last verbal words before his death on the execution table. Instead, he handed over to the prison warden a statement of his last words, which is a handwritten copy of a poem, and it said this, I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my soul. In a letter that was written to the Buffalo News Daily newspaper in New York, McVeigh used the word sorry for the first time. But instantly, he rendered it meaningless. And he he wrote this, I'm sorry these people had to lose their lives, he wrote. But that's the nature of the beast. It's understood going in what the human toll will be. And he would go on to write that what he did was a legit tactic in his war against the excesses of central government. And in his letter, McVeigh said that he was agnostic, but that he would improvise, adapt, and overcome. And if it turned out there was an afterlife, that's exactly what he would do. He said, if I'm going to hell, I'm gonna have a lot of company. My friends, in that moment, if he would have turned to Christ to repent of his sins and faith in Jesus Christ, he would have been saved Why, because of God's sufficient gift in Jesus Christ that would cover the sins of the worst of sinners like Timothy McVeigh and for me and for you. We are not the master of our own fate. We cannot get to eternity and try to figure it out and adapt and change. God is creator, and we are accountable to him. His truth stands. What's your response to the good news? We have said this. Death is certain. Life is short. Eternity is forever. Sin is a reality for all of us. We must respond. We have to understand the giant love of God and the giant hope in Jesus Christ. What's your response? Would you bow your head, please? With no one looking around and no one talking, your response tonight might be I don't know. I don't know if I know Jesus as my Savior. I'm uncertain that if I were to die tonight where I'd spend eternity. I don't know if my sins are forgiven, but I've heard you tonight from John chapter three and other passages, and I wanna respond, and my friend, you can take care of that tonight. If you don't know Christ as your Savior in love, we would ask you would you respond to Jesus? You're not responding to me. You're not responding to your counselor to camp or whatever, you are responding to what you heard from the truth of God's word. Would you respond tonight? You can know for sure your sins are forgiven. you can know for sure that you can be rescued from your sin and be brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about that, a relationship with Christ. And we don't have to fear death for those who repent and trust in Christ alone. Keep listening, will you? Heads bowed, eyes closed. There may be a second category tonight who say, I don't know I don't know if I'm ready to respond, but I do have questions. And I just love a loving ear that I could bounce some questions off. Some of you, this might be brand new. You've got a counselor who would love to just sit with you. And even if you're uncertain, you're not sure if you're ready to respond, but you've got more questions. Man, talk with them tonight. And as we close, we're gonna sing. And counselors, if you have a young person who who steps out, just follow them to the back. And camper, your counselor, will follow you. He'll go out, and they'll meet with you. They'll point you to truth. But tonight, you can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. When we turn from our sin and trust in Him, would you respond? Death is certain. Life is actually really, really short. Eternity is forever, but there's good news in Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, in a moment as we sing, worship, worship. With heads bowed and and eyes closed, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And young people, it's so important as we stand, that we're quiet. We don't start talking to one another. We don't want to distract from what God may be doing in somebody's heart, but stand quietly. Chad will lead us in a song, and if you need to respond, As we sing, just go to the back. Your counselor will follow you out. And I would say don't wait. Respond to Jesus Christ. I know for sure that your sins are forgiven and you are right with him. Would you stand quietly as we sing?
1: how deep the father's love for us how vast beyond all
2: Before we sing the third verse as you've been challenged this evening by pastor jason if you have questions you want to know more you're saying who is this jesus can i really have forgiveness of my sins yes you can and god's word shares that with us if you know you're a sinner and you're on your way to hell and you want to cry out to god and, and maybe you, you'd like some help someone to help walk you through that Your counselors are here for you. So as we sing this last verse, if that's a need that you have, look at your counselor, grab them. You'll make your way over to Jensen upstairs. You'll have plenty of time to talk with them. They'll take God's word and show you from God's word how you can have forgiveness of your sins and be made right with God. So don't wait. We know that life is short. So as we sing this third verse, if that's a need in your heart, Grab your counselor and go. You won't miss anything. And tonight, you can have eternal life. You can have fellowship or relationship with God.